You are Locked On Hawks, your daily Atlanta Hawks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 831 of the Lots on Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Roland. It is Tuesday evening into Wednesday morning, and it is the final day of September, wrapping up sort of a long month in Hawksland, but inching along here. October is almost here, and then November, finally, the NBA draft arrives. So stay tuned for all of that. But thank you, as always, for joining me on the podcast. Today's episode will feature some audio from Kevin Herter earlier in the week. That'll be later in the podcast, as well as some thoughts on what Brewer Fernando had to say to the media in their uh, Zoom calls earlier in the week. But first, uh, there was some reporting about a potential trade target. And I guess I, I got to say potential trade target for the Hawks. I got a lot of questions about in the last day or two, so I want to touch on it here to open the podcast. Jared Weiss of The Athletic reported on Monday that Victor Oladipo of the Pacers is, quote, looking to move on, end quote, from the Pacers this offseason. The same piece actually had Miles Turner potentially, quote, in the same boat, end quote. But considering the Capella acquisition, Turner does not seem like a potential target for the Hawks, but Oladipo absolutely does. In some respects, I will stress this right now off the top, there is no current link to the Hawks. This is not a trade rumor. This is nothing of that sort. People were just asking me, because of the reporting about Oladipo, that actually is a rumor. There's been some reporting about Oladipo leaving Indiana or wanting to. The Hawks part has not been reported anywhere, but people were asking me about this, and with good reason, as the Hawks are obviously in a position to make a trade like this if they wanted to do so. So I'll go through sort of the appeal of uh, Old Depot as well as well as sort of the factors in play with a potential pursuit, just to sort of answer all the questions that I received in uh, some way, in some way, shape, or form. So basically, setting the stage a little bit here, Old Depot is 28 now, he'll be 29 in May. He is owed $21 million for next season, and then he will face unrestricted free agency after that. So he's on, he's basically on, a, on an expiring contract for next year. Um, and honestly, he's been a good player, obviously, for a long time, former top two pick in the draft. But honestly, he only has one star-level season, like complete star-level season on his resume. It was 2017-2018. He averaged 23 points, five rebounds, and four assists per game. Led the league in steals and had almost a 58% troop shooting on 30% usage. So basically, he was a high-level offensive player, high usage, and pretty efficient. Played good defense, steals, and was a primary creator for a good team that season. Um, Ever since then, though, he's been injured quite a bit and also not quite as productive when he was on the court. He's played 57 games total in the last two years for the Pacers. Um, and in the last two seasons, he shot 46% on twos and 33% on threes for a 51.5% true shooting, which is below league average. It is a high usage, um, so that's worth considering. It's difficult to post uh, good efficiency on that kind of usage, but still, his his uh, efficiency has definitely fallen off quite a bit. He's not been the same player explosiveness-wise and all of that stuff. He's always been a very good player, in my opinion. I've always been a fan of his going back to college. I thought he should have been the number one pick overall in that draft, honestly, uh, long ago. I think he's actually kind of underrated. Um, for a long time as he sort of struggled to get his footing at uh, at least at a high level in the NBA and he was sort of uh, a cast off in a trade but now that he's sort of a star again in terms of where he reached in that two two seasons ago in Indiana um, people are assuming that he's still that guy now and that's an assumption that I don't think you can make necessarily Um, because he's only been that guy once in his career for a full season and there's been a lot of time since then a lot of injuries since then we'll dive into some more on that in a second but I want to touch on a fit potentially in Atlanta because that was a question that I was getting as well. 
I think that Oladipo, if healthy and productive, is a pretty good fit next to Trey Young because he, he can play defense. He can be a secondary creator. He could also be the primary guy when Trey Young sits. He'd be the second-best offensive player in, in terms of the, on, of the perimeter on this team immediately, um, given where he is in his um, in his tenure on, and what he's been able to do on the court. Like I said earlier, there, there's a ton of uncertainty about what he actually is based on what he has been the last two seasons. But if you just suspend that for a second and assume he's almost the guy he was three years ago, it would be a lot of fun, obviously. I do think that overall, though, it's very complicated. That's my overall takeaway on the Old Depot thing in general, not just for the Hawks, but just for any team trying to trade for him right now or thinking about it. It's complicated. It comes down to contract stuff and injury considerations. So the fact that he's expiring next year is a huge factor because if you're going to trade for what I can only, you know, the Pacers are not going to give him away, I don't think. There's going to be a, there's going to be a cost of some sort to get Old Depot. If you're going to pay that in a bidding war with multiple teams or whatever, if you're going to pay up for him in a trade, there is risk that he would leave in a year, and that's bad for any situation. Now, for a team like the Hawks that wouldn't be a title contender next year, again, next year only, if you if you add Old Depot to this team, they'd obviously be a lot better if he was healthy and productive, but I think it's not too bold to say they wouldn't be on the shortlist of title teams for next year with just that addition. With that said... That isn't a great spot to be in if you're going to trade for a guy on an expiring contract, give up probably two good assets, I would imagine, to get him, and uh, then he's a free agent in a year, and that's a lot of risk. Now, because of that, you probably want to get a uh, at least try to get an extension with him if you're a team like Atlanta that's trying to look long-term more than short-term. But on the other side of that, there's so much uncertainty between Old Depot's injury history and the relative struggles that he's had on the court the last two years Plus, sort of that mixed track record of, of efficiency offensively, and he'll be 29 in May. He's not super young. There's just a lot of factors, honestly, that might scare a team from a huge, like, max-level extension for a guy like Oladipo right now, just given where he is in his cycle because of the fact that he's been injured the last two years, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So, honestly, it might come down to where the medicals are on Oladipo. We, we just don't know that right now publicly. Clearly, we don't know that. I can argue on behalf of trading for him especially if you think you're going to get the, the best part of him at a good value because of the contract. You, you actually might be uh, getting a, him on a buy-low situation, potentially. And if the injury stuff plays out in a positive way, he would be a, a guy to take a flyer on. With that said, there's absolutely a risk there, and there's a considerable amount of risk given all the factors. So again, I would say one more time, there's no link right now between Old Depot and the Hawks that I'm aware of. But with basically anyone of his stature potentially hitting the market, people are going to ask and wonder. So that's kind of a snapshot of what I what I think the situation would be. Uh, I can see I can see both sides. He's obviously one of the better guys the Hawks could potentially trade for, considering he seems to be available. But there are considerations on both sides. He is very good when healthy, but we will see what kind of player he is moving forward. And the contract stuff is certainly worth emphasizing because you know trading for a guy on expiring is not ideal. But also there are some uh, perilous situations there with a potential extension. So keep all that in mind, and hopefully that answers all the questions that I received. And they were def- they were mostly about Old Depot in general, but some of them were more nuanced, like trading for him, what it would cost. It would cost something, certainly at least one get at least one good asset, probably two, I'd imagine, of the young guys slash draft picks to get Old Depot is my guess, but alas, we'll leave it there for now. But I want to sort of address all of that first things first on the podcast. Okay, before we get to some audio from Kevin Kevin Herter and much, much more after the break, a word from our sponsors on today's podcast, and the first one is DoorDash. You want Chinese food, they want pizza, and somebody else is craving dessert in the group, but fortunately, there's something for everybody on DoorDash. DoorDash is the app that brings you food you're craving right now, right to your door, and ordering is so very easy. You can open the DoorDash app, choose what you want to eat, and your food will be left safely outside your door with a new contactless delivery drop-off setting as DoorDash aims to keep our community safe. 
DoorDash has over 300,000 partners in the U.S., Canada, Australia, and Puerto Rico. You can support your local go-to restaurants or choose from your favorite national chains. Right now, our listeners can get $5 off and zero delivery fees on their first order of $15 or more when downloading the DoorDash app into the promo code Locked on NBA. That's $5 off and zero delivery fees on your first order when you don't download the DoorDash app in the App Store and enter the promo code Locked on NBA. Don't forget that's code Locked on NBA for $5 off on your first order with DoorDash. Today's podcast is also brought to you by the good folks at Built Bar, and Built Bar is the best tasting protein bar ever. The new and improved Built Bar is even more delicious than before. And I told you in the past how much I really love the original Built Bar flavors, but now there are up to 18 amazing flavors to choose from, including six new selections like caramel brownie, lemon almond cheesecake, and my personal favorite in cookies and cream. Each bar is covered in 100% chocolate, and importantly, they're all soft and easy to chew. And from there, it's all absolutely crucial to point, to point out that Built Bars are fantastic for those of us trying to be health conscious. You can maintain or even lose weight while still enjoying something that's absolutely delicious. Bars are high protein, high fiber, low calories, and low sugar. And Built Bar is even great for people on the keto diet. Go to BuiltBar.com right now and use the promo code LOCKEDON. When you do that, you'll get $10 off on your next order with Built Bar. One more time, that's BuiltBar.com, promo code LOCKEDON. For $10 off on your next order, check it all out at BuiltBar.com. All right, we will dig in now to the Monday Zooms. If you've been listening to the podcast the last few days, plus about, actually about a, about a week now, you would know that the Hawks have been holding Zoom availabilities after their practices in the minicamp setting. And on Monday, the Hawks had Bruno Fernando and Kevin Herter speak to the media. By the way, just as a note, Tuesday, the Hawks were not on the court. It was sort of an off day for them. So no media availability on Tuesday. But the Monday guys were Bruno and Kevin Herter. Uh, somebody joked that it was Maryland Day on the uh, on the Hawks front. So obviously that, that goes without saying with those guys playing together in college. Bruno, actually, I don't have great audio for, so I'm not going to play, play the audio for you now. He was the one that went second, and just logistically, take you behind the curtain a little bit. Uh, it's a bad time for me on all of these Zooms, so the second one, I'm, all, I'm, I'm usually having to do remotely, and that was one I had to listen to on my phone, so the audio is not great. My apologies to, to, uh, on all of that stuff with, with regard to Bruno. Um, Bruno, though, did speak about working with Clint Capella so far in minicamp. He called him a, quote, big bro, and got referenced his experience and someone that Bruno's been watching for a long time. He also said uh, sort of year one was a learning experience for Bruno Fernando. He talked about being more decisive, potentially, in year two, and said he wasn't kind of being himself during year one because he was sort of scared to make mistakes. You can sort of see that on the court, honestly. He was sometimes indecisive and passive in a way that that was probably uh, not beneficial to him long term. Also, he didn't really answer a question specifically about an individual uh, area of improvement, but he did pivot that question to just kind of fitting alongside the core guys, filling his role, helping the team win. It was sort of a diplomatic answer, but it's, it's one, also one that's probably encouraging considering the fact that he is a small role kind of guy, offensively in particular. So kind of just doing the dirty work and doing that kind of stuff. He did talk about how he thought he could, uh, he, sorry, he thought that he did improve last year during the season in terms of learning the system, having the game slow down for him during his first season um, in, the, in, in the NBA. He also said that he is uh, going to come in and try to communicate, make defensive impact while he's out there. He talked about actually watching every single game during the quarantine period, which is pretty interesting. Um, he went back and watched all of it sort of on his own, which is I, I think is pretty admirable to use your time wisely in that way. Uh, Bruno's known for sort of known for his hard work. He's a physically gifted guy, obviously, and he's emphasized keep sort of keeping his head down, working hard during the whole process. So saying all the right things, and I'm intrigued by Bruno. I think it's uh, Hawks fans sort of give, are sort of giving up on him now, which I understand to some degree. He's a second round pick that wasn't great as a rookie, but still, that's a guy who I think can certainly be a rotation player eventually 
in the NBA. This year, it might be tough for Bruno to get playing time if everyone's healthy. You're obviously He's obviously behind Clint Capella, Dwayne Dedman, and John Collins at the center spot in various degrees, but I think it'd be wise for the Hawks to see what they have in him a little bit more. He's a guy who's signed for two more years, including this one, so keep an eye on Bruno, and I think he's saying all the right things in advance of his second season. Okay, we'll pivot to Kevin Herter now, who I actually he talked like almost twice as long as Bruno, and there's a lot to get to here with Kevin. He was asked... About his about his knees initially and how he's feeling physically and it turned into kind of a, a kind of a revealing thing. He actually made a little bit of news that I wrote about at Peachtree Hoops on on Monday about the fact that he actually suffered an injury earlier in the offseason. So I'll, I'll play you the audio of that now. Yeah, the knees have been great. Um, you know, the diet that I'm on, the the strength training, the rehab type of stuff that we've been doing has has been great. Um, haven't felt that in a long time. Knock on wood, doing that every day. But um, but yeah, I felt great uh, going through. I sprained my ankle pretty good, um, you know, over a month ago. So there's some stuff this week I have been limited on. But, you know, most have been able to participate in mostly everything we're doing. But health-wise, there's nothing, you know, I expect that is uh, – that's going to be a problematic moving forward right now. Obviously, we don't know when we're going to be playing yet training camp-wise. But overall, I feel really good. Body's great. So from there, I want to play another piece of audio from later in the interview. This is not simultaneous, but um, it was quite a bit later, but still sort of a follow-up on this. He was asked to follow up on details about the ankle injury. Yeah, left ankle. It was within a workout. Um, you know, some that it was kind of, it's going to be fine. You know, it's not something I'm worried about moving forward. I'm in the end stages of it. Um, just been limited a little bit this week. Some of the full court stuff, probably not staying in as long as you know, I would have in, in previous times, but it's not something I see as a problem moving forward. So you can hear in there that he's not necessarily concerned about the left ankle injury that he suffered about a month ago, but still noteworthy to be sure. I would point out that Herder's been actually more durable than people think he has been. He's played in 131 of 149 games as a um, as a professional, which isn't incredible, but certainly not the uh, you know oft injured label he might have been assigned so far. But he has had the offseasons disrupted a little bit. Uh, something to keep an eye on to be sure. The last thing about the injury that I want to play for you is that he was asked about being dinged up during the season last year, not being 100%, how that might have affected him, and how he exp- he sort of expanded on that with some background information about his uh, his physical stuff and how he sort of gets ready for the season. It's always, it's, you don't make excuses as an athlete. Um, but there was a lot of, you know, my extra time, there was a lot of time that I spent rehab-wise and working on my body that, I remember just plainly rookie year, you know, going into my rookie year, I remember when we had RJ Hunter and unbelievable shooter. And, you know, I was obviously, you know, shooting was the strength of my coming to the league. We almost every day in the fall were coming back, you know, going two days and coming back and doing shooting competition drills together. And coach Nate Babcock was putting us through it. We were in there usually six at night. And for about an hour and a half, it was, we were going through all these sorts of shooting drills and, and really pushing each other. And that wasn't something I was able to do last year just because of load management and making sure I was healthy for training camp and doing rehab and this and that. And um, specifically just the extra time on the court working on my game. I feel like a lot of time I, I did miss out on it. I, from back in the schedule, I went most of that summer with knee pain. And then when I got back to Atlanta, that's where I started doing the rehab and trying to address it. And so it did. Um, it did just for that fact of not being able to put in the extra work that I'm used to doing and want to do. So like I said, I think that'll change going into this year and hopefully going to training camp in the season healthy. From the injury stuff, I want to pivot now to the fact that he was asked about previous comments that he made about attacking the rim, whether that was sort of a priority for him and a point of focus for next season. Yeah, that's definitely a priority. Um, it's a priority for a lot of guys on our team, honestly. And 
and me specifically, you know, that was something that definitely wasn't as good at uh, last year. I think a lot of that too was just, you know, didn't feel as explosive at times as I did in my rookie year. And um, took me a little while to get to a point where, you know, body-wise I was finding things I was working and, and I know we've been over that a bunch, but definitely an area I'm looking to improve on. Um, continuing again, just spent a lot of time, you know, upper body-wise in the weight room, really the past, I would say month and a half, two months have been really focused on our upper body. I would say during quarantine when I was home, it was, you know, bigger emphasis on my lower body. And um, so just similarly things that I was doing last year is, is obviously going to try to go in the season as healthy as possible and get my body feeling good, but continue to build my body um, to be able to go in and finish amongst bigger players. It's always been litigated a lot, I would say, about him not being able to attack the rim too effectively in the first two years. That's something I pointed out quite a bit as well. I think I'm sure he's heard that both internally and just from coaches and stuff. Um, him getting stronger is a, definitely a point of emphasis, as it should be, and we'll see how that works out. But just kind of getting it more explosive, attacking, being more aggressive as well, and that's something to circle with with Kevin for next year. I won't play the audio on this one, but Herter said the offseason sort of quote feels like a little bit of like Groundhog Day end quote in the monotony of it all over the last six months. I'm sure people can identify with that in a big way, so I want to pass that along. Also, he said it was nice to have sort of that change of setting for training camp and the mini camp that's happening right now in Atlanta. Um, this is more of a fun one, but I'm sure many Hawks fans have seen that John Collins made 100 straight free throws earlier this week. That was all over social media and got a lot of attention. But Herder was asked about that sort of in a fun way, and uh, here was his response to that. Yeah, so that's – it was actually really funny. So we, we have a shooting board, um, as I'm sure you guys have seen in our gym, and the only current record – that I don't have is the free throws before that was held by Charlie Brown. And granted, a lot of guys haven't done the competitions over the course of the past six months. So currently, like I said, so the free throws are the one I haven't gotten and I've legitimately attempted it like almost every day. And the previous record was at 57 and I couldn't beat it. And so of course, yesterday we're shooting free throws and all we, all we were told is you're making 20, assuming you can make out of 20. So I think I go 18 for 20, John goes 20 for 20. So we're like, all right, like just keep shooting. And so all of a sudden, like he makes 40 and all of a sudden he makes, and I'm rebounding for him. I'm sitting here like, I've been trying to do this damn thing for six months now. And John just, he didn't miss. And he didn't even, miss. he got to a hundred and missed on purpose. So we're like, John, how do you not, how do you not keep going? Um, so it was really impressive. Um, my free throws, I haven't, I haven't made 50 in a row. Um, and so that was, that was something that John did that was, impressive and I don't know how much higher he could have gone he felt bad that we were sitting there watching him and I was like man if you're gonna make 100 free throws I'll sit here all day it's obviously wild to make 100 in a row but uh, I am with Kevin on this one missing on purpose after 100 does seem insane to me so uh, I guess John didn't really didn't want to keep going but uh, there you go on that that was kind of a funny one I thought um, he was asked later if he felt like he took the step he wanted to in his second year, especially given the fact that you know a lot of people have sort of said that he didn't do that, so I wanted to play his response to the to the notion that uh, maybe he took that step or maybe he didn't take that step. Yes and no. Um, you know, overall, as a pro, I definitely feel like I got better, and that comes to my habits. Um, you know, habits both on and off the court. I think I learned a lot more. Just being a rookie, I mean, being a rookie in the NBA, it really is tough, and it's a year that a lot of guys go through. It's a really long year, and just not being a rookie. Um, so I do think in a lot of ways I did feel like I gained a lot out of last year and, and stuff that's going to make me even better moving forward, stuff I feel like I almost had to go through in order to reach you know, the goals that I set for myself for the rest of my career. Um, you know, on court, obviously, I'm always tough on myself, but I know I could have played better in certain situations. I think specifically I could have shot it better. I know that 
40% from three was something that I set for myself going into the year. And there's times I shot it really well. There's, I think, a month span I was shooting up around 46 and then kind of hit a cold streak towards the end of COVID and dropped below 40. So I know that's a goal I have for myself is, is shooting better. Um, you know, specifically on the court, I think, you know, I've alluded to in the past is, you know, when I'm on the court, I feel like that's you know, where you get better. And that's what's been great about me playing for the Hawks is since I came in as a rookie, you know, I've earned the minutes, but I played a lot of minutes. So um, I think anytime on the court, I'm progressing and you know, I'm excited for what lies ahead in year three. You could sort of hear there in the mixed bag that he um, gets into. He's still obviously a really, really talented guy who can who can should be better in year three, but keep that in mind. Obviously, year two was not a huge step forward for him. That's worth pointing out in my opinion, but um, that's how he answered it, so I wanted to pass it along. Um, also, he was asked about what they've been working on as a team schematically so far in minicamp. This is sort of a basketball nerd question, and I really appreciate it, so I wanted to pass it along. Yeah, I think you know, a big focus has definitely been movement off the ball. Um, he's taken away the ability to, to run ball screens multiple times. We've done a couple different drills where we're playing full court scrimmaging and you're not allowed to dribble. And a lot of that is, is movement off the ball, screening for each other. Um, we put in a couple different sets. I don't know if there's sets that we're going to run over the course of the year, but things that get us into different things. So throwing a post in Clint or John up and, and having off ball type of movement off of that, screening for each other, cutting. So I think that's been a big emphasis is getting away from relying on pick and roll. I think it's obvious the last couple of years with Trey Young at the at the helm that the Hawks have been great in pick and roll. Um, that's what Trey is best at at this moment in time, but he's obviously capable of doing other things as well. And the Hawks have been really heavily relying on that. Thing. So I thought it was interesting to note that they have uh, not been one to emphasize that as much. It's still going to be a huge part of the team, but doing other things is also uh, interesting and potentially useful looking ahead. Um, okay, we'll wrap up with a couple more things on some broad stuff for next year team-wise. Uh, Kevin was asked, broadly speaking, for his goals next season as a team. This is not individual goals, but as a team, what his goals were for next year. I mean, I think we're finally allowed to say it publicly. I know Lloyd said it, but our whole focus as a team is making the playoffs. And we looked at definitely some of the teams that are in it from the Eastern Conference this year. I know that there's definitely teams that um, you know we think we can jump ahead of going into next year. And um, we're trying to make the playoffs. It's really kind of the main focus for us. It's something we talked about even at the beginning of this training camp is a lot of individual stats and individual accolades have to be put aside and, and we have to really try to come together as a team. You know, for the most part, we felt like even though the last three years have been a growing process and a rebuild, whatever you want to call it, um, you know, we felt in some areas we've underachieved. And as a team, I know players-wise, you know, it's tough to come in and lose a lot of games and not feel like you're underachieving. So we want to mm-hmm. change that around. We want to make the playoffs. So it's not huge news, given the way the Hawks have been talking. He didn't hold back there, obviously, on the playoffs as a goal. I think everyone knows that that's been the focus. But it's still noteworthy when it's, and it's as specific as he made it here and said out loud. And Lloyd Pierce, as he referenced early in that answer, was the first one to say that back in March. But now that's the clear, that's the clear focus, obviously, up and down the roster. And Kevin was about as clear about that as anybody has been this entire time. Also, he was asked sort of as a follow-up to that how they can sort of make that leap substantially toward the playoffs, even while acknowledging that it's kind of hard to answer that still without the full roster in place. You know, I know just from watching these playoffs and seeing the different lineups that work, I think our team, we have a lot of versatility. And you know, I think for a lot of times the last two years, different guys we brought in have definitely been, you know, I would imagine guys that we, we knew wouldn't be here very long. And so I know that I think we got a core group of guys that, we know works and have put together really good minutes for us at times and, and been really competitive. And we just kind of mix in different guys and whoever we bring in or draft or obviously guys we have here that have been great for us, um, whoever we mix in and just being able to put together 
you have guys that expect to be here past one year, the guys that are going to be committed to building something and competing for something bigger than just that individual year and possibly their next contract. And so, like I said, we got a core group of guys that we know that we think works and has been really good together. We just got to find pieces to complement that. And sort of in tandem there, he, he he referenced the playoffs and watching them in that last answer. There's one more question. It was sort of similar to that. He was asked broadly, I think it was by Kevin Schnard, actually, shots to Kevin, um, about playoff takeaways, sort of watching the bubble from afar and what he has seen and taken away from that. A lot of, a lot of regular season lineups definitely have not worked in the playoffs so far. I think that's something that we've gained is there's been a lot of mixed matching and, um, and different lineups that – like I said, haven't worked and, and there's been a lot of different adjustments that had to be made. And I think you look at it again is small ball has kind of been running the playoffs again with, you know, with the Celtics obviously using it a lot. Um, the Heat with playing Crowder at the four and Jimmy at the three. Um, you know, I think there's definitely different lineups that uh, have been thrown out and you watch the playoffs. A lot of different guys have stepped up and they've been really entertaining. I know it's, it's tough to watch without fans, but you also watching the playoffs again. I think we watch it and you know, we know we, we're we not where those teams are yet, but, you know, for lack of uh, – I, I guess it doesn't feel like we're watching. It doesn't feel like we're that far away. And I know we are. You know, it's it's they're the Western Conference, Eastern Conference, Conference Finals, but from a talent point and from where those what those teams are doing and, and how they're using different lineups, we think that eventually that will be something that we can achieve. Those are kind of some easy things to see. At the same time, it is certainly right that you know small ball rule, often rules the day in the playoffs. The mix and match stuff, the regular season lineups not working is all sentiments that I would certainly agree with and thought that was interesting for him to come out and sort of talk about that, frankly. And the last thing, this is the last thing I promise from an audio standpoint, is that he was asked what gives him and the team the confidence to think that they can make the jump to the playoffs next season. The crazy thing is, is you know, it doesn't feel as significant as it might look. And... You know, who was the eight? I think the eighth seed this year was Orlando. And, you know, there are times where we were going through rough stages in our season and, you know, we still weren't that many games out of the eighth seed. And you go into the end of the year and from a talent perspective, you know, we don't think we're that far off from Orlando. And they got guys who've been in the league a little bit longer and um, a team that's been together a lot longer than we have. And that's just one team. I'm not, not to nitpick them, but, you know, the significance of how far away we are, I don't think is that significant as it might look on the outside. And, we know we've been putting in a lot of work. We got guys that are getting better. I think we're going to bring in different guys that are going to help the guys we have here. And um, you know, there's a lot of games. I know that we can get better, and that if they go a different way than they did this past year. Keep guys on the court a little bit longer. Um, I don't think it's it's that crazy. I think it's definitely attainable. I will leave you on the optimistic note on today's podcast. If you missed anything earlier in the week, again, we've had all kinds of Zoom audio content from Lloyd Pierce and Travis Schlink, Trey Young, John Collins etc, etc, as well as Robbie Cowan and I talk about the NBA Finals. If you're listening to this on Wednesday, the Finals haven't started just yet, so that's still worth a listen from Tuesday. All kinds of Finals content, non-Hawks, but still a lot of fun to talk basketball as usual. Please subscribe to the podcast. Please tell a friend about the show. We'll have at least one more show this week, maybe two, so stay tuned for all of that, and we'll see you next time.